This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. With me this morning, please, to the little epistle of 3 John. Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John. And just hold your place there when you find it. I'll give you the particular verse in a moment or two. I want to begin this morning by asking a question. And a question at first hearing, uh, particularly for those of you who are believers in Christ, it may just seem... Uh, obvious and merely academic, but I believe that it is very, very important uh, even to our eternal destiny. And here's the question, simple question, what makes a Christian a Christian? What makes a Christian a Christian? What differentiates us from all other faiths? What is so definitive about what we believe and who we are. What evidence or proof could you give as a hallmark of your faith? Would it be peace, for example? Many times we say, well, since I found Christ, I have great peace. Well, thank God for that. I would expect you to believe that and experience that. That's wonderful. Every believer ought to have the peace of God. Would it be happiness and joy? Uh, Would it be an entirely different lifestyle? Well, no doubt that would be the case because once you become a believer, your lifestyle certainly changes and you do experience a a joy and a happiness that perhaps you never had before. You may say, well, I've had a wonderful experience. But experiences are very subjective, are they not? I remember one time... uh, Belfast, listening to Colonel Ed Mitchell, who was one of the very, in fact, he's one of the very few men alive today who actually, as an astronaut, stood on the moon. And he did his talk, and then there was a Q&A session afterwards. And inevitably, and eventually, somebody asked him the question uh, along religious lines. And he was a completely non-religious man. And they said, well, had this any effect on you regarding your belief or disbelief in God? And he says, actually, no. He said, I was the same one up and when I come back. He says, it did not make no difference to me. In fact, he says, those astronauts who went to the moon, uh, those who believed in God, he says, they still believe in God. Those who didn't believe in God still didn't believe in God. Even though they had a an out-of-this-world experience, could you say, even though they had an incredible experience, but it actually didn't change them, really. And so experiences uh, are subjective to how we feel. Each religion has its own faith, its own system of belief, could you say, their own claim to all of these happenings. I mean, are all Mormons miserable? I don't think so. Are all Buddhists depressed? I don't think so. <laughs> Are all Hindus unhappy? 
unhappy? Probably not. So what sets us apart? Is it faith? Well, all religions has some kind of faith or other. So is it faith? Is it compassion? Is it mercy? Or are we as Christians the only one to exhibit, exhibit these traits? I don't think so. I think there's plenty of people who have compassion and mercy. Is it confession of sins? Well, there's different religions who believe in confessing their sins. Or perhaps, is it our belief in one God? Well, I don't think it's particularly that either because Jews believe in one God, Muslims believe in one God, so we're not the only ones. I think the thing that absolutely sets us apart, that puts Christianity on a different level completely, is truth. Truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Truth is unassailable. It's constant. It's fixed. In mathematics, two, two plus two equals four. You may disagree with that. You may even deny that. But it still stands. It's truth. And it's not going to change regardless of how you believe it. It is absolute truth. There's a truth about gravity. I don't understand how it works. In fact, I don't think anybody understands how it works. But it works. It's true. You can disagree with it. You can deny it. But if you fall of a tall building, you're going to die. It's going to drag you down. Our faith must be built on truth. Our experience must be subject to truth. Our peace, our joy, our well-being, our happiness, our lifestyle must be rooted in truth. It has to be. The Apostle John, writing these three little letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Remember I told you last Sunday night that this is the third generation of the church. He's a very old man when he's writing this. And one thing greatly, greatly concerns him. And that is the error and the false teaching that the Apostle Paul before him and Peter before him had warned about had now infiltrated the church. It was absolutely rife throughout the churches. And it was a great concern to him. And so he writes these little epistles. And out of the 132 verses that covers all the three letters, 24 of them refer to truth. So there's a big ask here. He's, he's looking for truth. Listen to what he says in 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 2 John 4. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And in 1 John 3, 18, 19, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. So what makes a Christian a Christian? Truth is at the very heart of why we're believers. 
Now, this isn't truth at the expense of love, because the Bible says that we are to speak the truth in love. This isn't truth at the expense of faith, because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It isn't truth at the expense even of experience, because if we walk in revealed truth, then we shall have experiences with God. God will meet us at certain times. He'll speak to us. He will come to us in certain ways. We'll have our own unique experiences with God if we walk in revealed truth. It is not at the expense of peace or of joy or of happiness because the Bible says, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So truth is important. It's fundamentally important to us as believers, particularly today, because now we live in a generation where truth is being assailed continually. Last Sunday night, I spoke in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. A different message than this, but a principle was applied, buy the truth and do not sell it. So why is truth so fundamentally important to us? Well, 2 Corinthians 10 in verses 3 and 5, it talks about what we are up against, spiritually speaking. And it talks about arguments, imaginations, reasonings, high places. It talks about a world beyond this world, a spiritual world beyond this world that produces arguments, reasonings, imaginations in high places, high thoughts it talks about. What is that speaking about? Well, we see that every day. We see Christianity being attacked continually, all the time, by arguments and imaginations and reasoning and high thoughts that tries to exalt itself above God himself. So this is why we must understand truth. Satan, Jesus said, was a liar from the beginning. He is the father of all lies. And he lies convincingly because the Bible says the whole world is deceived. So he's an expert in lying. In Ephesians chapter 6, <coughs> verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice this. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Notice what he puts first in this list of armor. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, <laughs> praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, 
the Apostle Paul is using here the, the image of a Roman soldier in full armor. He saw many of them. Sometimes he was chained between them. And if he saw a, a Roman soldier in full armor, uh, you would see he would have a beautiful helmet with a plume on top of it. And it would be made of brass. He would also have a, a, a breastplate and a backplate of brass. In fact, it would go right down to his knees. And then he would have like greaves of brass up from his knees to his shins. He would be fully armor-plated. It must have been a weight to carry around. But they were big, fit, strong men. And they were well-trained. He'd have a sword. He'd have a shield. He'd have special shoes that were made for rough terrain. Uh, there would be what we used to call sparbles. There'd be metal bits on the soles of them. And so he was fitted for, for battle, for warfare. But among all of the things that he had that would be beautiful, can you imagine him standing in the sunlight, bouncing off all of that armor? It must have been intimidating for anybody that had to fight these guys. But amidst all of that, there was one part that was hardly seen. And that was the girdle of truth. What's called the girdle of truth here. The waistband. And the waistband was where he hung his shield on when he wasn't fighting. Where he put his sword in where he wasn't fighting. It was a very important piece. And it held everything together. It would not be the first thing you would see, but it would be one of the most important pieces. In fact, if not the most important piece, because it held everything together when he went into battle. And it's the very first thing that the Apostle Paul, in the imagery of spiritual warfare as a Roman soldier fitted for war, as us, he spiritualized this, obviously. The very first thing he points out is this belt, this waist belt, and he calls it the belt of truth. This holds everything we have together. If we let go of truth, what have we got? It won't be too long till you lose your sense of righteousness. It won't be too long till your peace goes or to your joy and your happiness. It won't be too long till you compromise in your lifestyle. All of these things is dependent upon truth. The truth that we know in God's Word. Why do you think God's Word is so attacked continually? Because this is truth. This is what holds everything together. This is what will keep your life held together. This is why I keep beating this drum. Get to know this Word Live in this word. <coughs> Read this word. Meditate. Think about this word. Because that's going to keep your life together. When everything else is, falls apart, the word will keep your life together. The girdle of truth. Not talking here about mere knowledge or intelligence or philosophy. We're talking about Bible truth. God's truth. Heaven sent truth. That's what we've got, and that's what we've got to keep ourselves together with. Now, all of this truth 
is personified in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that's just abstract. It's something that's real. We've got the written word, which we can read every day. And we've got the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, note, full of grace and truth. Hmm. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, the truth, the real truth. <coughs> Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he further said, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So Jesus came to reveal truth. He came to speak truth. He lived truth because he was truth. The whole embodiment of truth was found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So truth is absolutely vital for us as believers to get to know and to get to live it out in our lives. Hebrews 4.12, speaking about this book, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the very intents of the heart. There's something about the Word of God that when you begin to read it and meditate on it and study it and think about it, there's something about the Word of God that gets right down into your very soul that can correct you, that can direct you, that can reach right into the very thoughts of your life and can change us. So that's why we have to get to know God's truth. God has privileged us with giving us such a, a wonderful book. You know, I, I was just reading the other day, uh, I, I get a, all kinds of letters comes in from all kinds of organizations, and it's a man that comes through here every couple of years, big Canadian man, and we give him money to buy Bibles and to, so they can print them in the language of the people he goes to. And uh, you'll know him. Remember the man with the big voice? You remember him? And he sends me a letter once in a while. And I think the thing that intrigues me, he says that wherever he goes, particularly if he can get Bibles printed in the language of the people he goes to, and some of these countries just don't, they just don't have Bibles. He says the many times when people were given a Bible in their own language, they stood and they cried, they wept. It was so precious to them. It was like life and death for them. Listen, would to God we were like that, but we're not. We've got them in our house. Sometimes there's Bibles lie down the back there and they could lie there for two or three months. I'm not sure if the person left it doesn't it knows that he even left it there. <coughs> Sorry to say that, but that's the truth. They'd come back for it, wouldn't they? Many Bibles have you got, David? I don't know. I've got at least probably about 20, I'm sure. <coughs> All different translations and different ways. <coughs> 
But I try my best that each day I try to read this word of God because it's so important for us. We need this to balance our lives, to be able to check. Uh, why? Because we live in a world of information, don't we? We live in a world that we're constantly bombarded with information constantly all the time and opinions and views and ideas and all kinds of stuff that's thrown at us. We need a template. We need something to measure all that by. And there's only one thing as believers we can do that with, and that is the Word of God. And if we leave this aside, then our opinion or their opinion is as good as ours. It's not opinion. It's what God says in His Word. That's what's going to count at the end of the day. <laughs> now, I'm sure there is a difference between fact and truth. A difference between fact and truth. Consider this. Fact says, I am a sinner. Fact. Truth says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, come, let us reason together. Fact says, we have toiled all the night and we have taken nothing. That's what the disciples said to Jesus when they came back from their fishing expedition and they had caught nothing. We have toiled all the night and we have taken nothing. These were professional fishermen. They did all the right things. They went at the right time. They did this a million times before, but this night they caught nothing. And it was not because anything they did wrong. They did everything right but they caught nothing. Now, that was a fact. Nobody could deny that. Their boat was completely empty. But truth says, let down your nets for a draft. <laughs> and Peter says, Lord, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net for a draft. And he got a great catch of fish. Fact says, Goliath is nine feet tall. Six cubits and a span. That's nine feet at least. Fact. Everybody saw that. Everybody knew that. The army of Israel stood and looked at him for 40 days. Nobody could deny that. But truth says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You're going to get plenty of facts that you're going to have to face in your life undeniable facts but you're going to have to look at truth and say well what does God say facts said Lazarus is dead four days already dead by this time he stinketh decomposition would have said it truth says I'm the resurrection and the life he that believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. There's a difference, isn't there? Fact says, David, I'm broke. The piggy bank is empty. Truth says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
facts it. Trouble not the master, Jairus. Your little daughter is dead. Truth says, do not be afraid. Only believe. Little girl, I say unto you, arise. And she rose. <laughs> you are going to be faced with lots of facts. <coughs> can't deny them, can't bury your head in the sand. It's there, it's real, it's happened. And that's when you're going to have to look into this book and say, well, what does truth say? What response is there to that? And you find out the truth of God's word. And you say, I believe what God says. Not easy. It goes against everything sometimes or natural feelings. But that's God's truth. I have no greater joy than my little children walk in truth. And he wasn't talking about little babies. He was talking about grown adults. John was an old man. He called them his little children. He says, that's my greatest joy, that they walk in truth. Amidst all of the error, amidst all of the falseness, amidst all of the imaginations and all of the reasonings and all of the high thoughts that exalts itself against the knowledge of God that's all over this world today that we're facing every single day of our life, we've got to have a template. We've got to measure it against what God has already said in his word. You say, David, but things are changing. You say, but this is the 21st century. You say, but science has moved on. Technology has moved on. Knowledge has moved on. That's true. For this is why I'm glad this book doesn't change. <laughs> because when science and knowledge and opinions, when they constantly change, constantly, this remains steady. <laughs> the astronoids, astronoids, asteroids, adenoids, them's the things up your nose, aren't they? <laughs> when they said that they destroyed the dinosaurs, everybody said, well, there's the answer. That's what happened to the dinosaurs. No, they're not. Well, we're not too sure anymore. We're not too sure. They'll believe anything but the Word of God. Anything but Noah's flood. Any other answer but what's in the book. And that's why we've got to stick to the book. Because <coughs> it doesn't change. Our answer will be the same in 100 years from now. It will still be the same answer. What's in the book? This is the truth of God's <laughs> Word. Amen? So, believe this book. Read this book. Meditate on this book. Love this book. Get to know this book. And you'll have a balance in your life. And you'll have an answer in your life. And you'll have something like an anchor for your soul. Lord, we give you thanks for your precious word of life. We thank you for the personification of this word in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh. And at this time of the Advent season, we're much more aware of that, that the Word was made flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. And so, Lord, we bless you for this. 
We thank you that we have an anchor for our souls today. We have a more sure word of prophecy, this book. And so we bless you, Lord, and we praise you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.